Well, hey there, friend. Hope that uh, you are coming into this space in a place of peace and wellness. Glad that you're here. Glad to be here with you. Uh, thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Um, I don't know really know what I don't really know what to do with this yet, but I know that I need to start it. <laughs> uh, something that I keep coming back to is this podcast thing. Um, and so we're just going to give it another shot. Uh, we're going to call it Shalom cast for good time's sake. Um, Shalom Cast was a podcast that I started a couple of years ago, actually, uh, and just going through things in my life that I realized that I really didn't have anything to say, <laughs> uh, or at least not necessarily, I was going through so much uh, life changes that I didn't know what to say. Um, and, uh, and I guess I have, I think I know what to say now from now on, I guess. I don't know. Um, but I posted something on my uh, Instagram, um, a while ago on turning the other cheek in some of these other passages that, um, Jesus, uh, the teachings of, of Jesus and it, um, it just reminded me that I love doing that stuff. I love, even though I don't uh, find the need to claim any one particular religion, um, I do still, I am still thankful for the tradition um, that I was raised in. I guess the, the bigger tradition um, of Christianity and what it, what it started out as not what it is today, but what it started out as is something that is beautiful and subversive and uh, something that I can get behind for sure. But um, Shalom Cast is, is going to be a podcast exploring the human experience in any uh, shape or form, really, whether that's through sacred text or art, um, uh, other literature, um, and the idea behind Shalom Cast is this Hebrew word, uh, Shalom, and uh, we're actually going to be talking about that in this episode, so before I go too much farther in, thanks again for being here. Uh, when I announced <laughs> that I was going to be doing uh, Shalom Cast again, some very sweet people um, got excited about it. And the three or four of you that did that, thank you. It was really encouraging uh, because I love doing this stuff and uh, I, I can't not get away from talking about it. I have to talk about it. Um, and so thanks for joining in um there's this passage in the gospel of luke uh where or there's really a, a section rather in the gospel of luke where um jesus is is confronted by the pharisees and the pharisees are the religious elite of the first century um, context that we find ourselves in. Um, they're the religious elite. They're, they are um, one, of the, one of the main oppressors of the Jewish community inside the, the, uh, inside the, the Roman rule. So you have first century, you have uh, in Rome, right? You have the Roman Empire and inside of it, you, you have this small sect of Judaism that are under this Roman rule, but inside this small sect, there's also hierarchy within that as well. And, and, and um, the most notorious ones would be the Pharisees that Jesus 
continually, continuously uh, gets into these really um, deep philosophical, spiritual um, conversations and, and debates um, because Jesus is this up-and-coming rabbi who is talking about things uh, that people aren't super stoked about, especially the religious elite, because they, he is, he is uh, messing with their system. Um, and in this uh, particular passage in the Gospel of Luke, uh, the Pharisees uh, come up to him again and begin to ask him about the kingdom of God. And they the, the, the question that they ask is so telling. They come up and they ask Jesus, when is the kingdom of God coming? And Jesus replies, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs. It's not, it's not going to be like one day you show up and it's like, oh, look, there it is. Or look, oh, there it is. It's coming down the mountain. Here's the kingdom of God. And the reason why the Pharisees are asking when their kingdom is coming is because their idea of kingdom is much more of a Roman Empire type of kingdom. And that is not what Jesus has in mind when he talks about the kingdom of God. But it's telling that the Pharisees ask when, because as religious elite, they want to be in power. Essentially, what they're asking is, when do we get to become like the Romans? When do we get to have our day in the sun like we used to when we were under any type of rule where we made where we were the mighty powerful nation to be reckoned with when do we get back to that and i love what jesus has to say uh in in response to this um it's in Luke chapter 17, if you want to follow along at all. but uh, And Jesus says this, The kingdom of God uh, is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. That was not the question that the Pharisees asked. They asked when. And so Jesus is about to show us that that's the wrong question. When is the kingdom of God? Instead, Jesus says, it's not about when, but here. It's in your midst. He tells them where it is. It's in your midst. In some translations, it, it, it is said that the kingdom of God is within you. But in the translation that I have, it says that the kingdom is in your midst, which I think essentially, without getting into too much semantics, communicates the same idea. That the kingdom of God is in our midst. It is within us. Now, you have to remember where Jesus is talking and who Jesus is talking to. That This would have been so outside their realm of understanding. If, if you are raised in a context like this in the first century Roman Empire and first century Judaism, to be an Israelite, to be people of Yahweh, you are expecting a physical kingdom. Again, this, this is the prophecy that you are expecting to be in power again at some point. Militaristic, political power. They are, they are asking about when do we get our power back? And Jesus responds with not when, but, but giving them lo the location that the kingdom of God 
is already here. It's in it's in our midst. And for them to hear that, they they would have been so perplexed by what he was talking about. And this is the beauty of the subversive teachings of Jesus. That he asks that he answers the question behind the question. He gets to he he is such an amazing communicator and an amazing teacher, an amazing rabbi and uh that, that he gets behind the question that they're ask, actually asking. And all he is doing, really, is, is, is helping them to remember where they came from. Remember that this God that they serve is the God of Abraham, the God of the, of the wilderness. Uh, a, a God who shows up in the Old Testament and, and, and calls Abraham to itself and says that you're going to be a light to the nations and a blessing to the world. And in the Hebrew language, there's this word called shalom. <laughs> uh, and it's one of my favorite words that I've ever come across because of the meaning behind it. And in the Hebrew understanding of the of the word shalom, it's peace, but it's this it's this universal, holistic flourishing of the entire cosmos, you and I included, where everything is how it ought to be. It's this biblical idea of justice where everyone has enough. No one has more than what they should have, and no one has less than what they should have. So when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, he has this shalom mindset behind him in the understanding of what we talk about when we talk about the kingdom of God. The idea behind the nation of Israel, if you read the Old Testament, was to be a place where the foreigner, the sojourner, the outcast could find home and rest within the nation, within the, pe- within the people of Israel to really build something that is possible, a truly shalomic, if that's a word, shalomic state where each person has what they need and nothing more and nothing less. And this is the idea that Jesus has when he talks about the kingdom of God. So it's so crucial for us to see that when the Pharisees show up and they're like, yo, when is the kingdom of God coming? Like, when do we get our power back? Jesus says, no, it's it's not about that. It's actually in your midst. And, and what he and what Jesus does here is then in this next few passages, the next few pages of this story, is that he begins to show them not only where the kingdom of God is, um, but who is in the kingdom of God and who are not in the kingdom of God. <laughs> so where is the kingdom of God? It's in our midst. It's with it's within us. And who's in? And if you're not in, how do you get in? <laughs> and and what does it look like this shalom understanding of the kingdom of God? What does it look like? And he and he does this in the next few passages. One of the things he says that is, is um, you know, a couple of things that he says is really well known. Like, whoever uh, seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Um, and a little bit here he'll talk about, he'll give a parable. And and uh, the, the point of the parable is, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Um, 
If you've been in church at all, you, you've heard those phrases before. And even if you haven't been, you've probably heard them somewhere, somehow. Um, but those aren't really the passages that Christianity today is, is known for. Whoever seeks to preserve his life, if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Um, and those are crucial to remember as we continue on. Uh, because that is the key of entering into the kingdom of God. And we'll get there. One of the things that he talks about directly after this uh, kingdom of God question from the Pharisees is the parable of the persistent widow. And it's this parable where uh, this, this persistent widow is demanding for her justice to an unrighteous judge who is re who is refusing to give her her justice. We don't know what the specifics are. We, all we know is that she's persistent in demanding she receive justice. She's been wrong somehow, and she continues to bang on the door and say, "I need, I, I deserve justice. I have been wronged. I deserve." justice. And this unrighteous judge eventually gets so annoyed with her persistence that he eventually does um, give it. Give the persistent widow the justice she's asking for. And Jesus says, God is not like that. God is actually swift in giving justice, but it's in her persistence of demanding justice and it is in her persistence that she, it is an it is because of her predicament that she has to be so persistent okay what jesus is going to, to show us here is a, is a group uh individually there's individuals that jesus is going to either have real interactions with or use or use parables for and what he's going to show us is he's going to introduce us to the widow. We're going to we're going to be introduced to children. We're going to be introduced to a beggar. And these are the people, the individuals who are already in the kingdom of God. And it's significant to understand that because the ones who are already in the kingdom of God have no way of earning it because in order to understand the significance of what Jesus is talking about we need to understand the context that these people find themselves in if you are a widow or if you're a child or um, a beggar you are at the bottom of the social hierarchy children have nothing to offer. They can't, they can't do anything other than just offer themselves, offer us their presence. They can't run a company. They can't write a report. They can't farm. They can't do practically anything. Widows in this context also viewed this way because of, because of the staunch patriarchy that is part of, that is just, built into the system that uh, if a woman's husband dies, she basically becomes automatically poor because women don't work. Um, there are the I, and the idea is that they're not supposed to that the that the man right is supposed to bring home the bacon um and so in this con and when your husband dies in this culture where do you go no one's hiring a woman to do a man's job in this context and then also the the beggars a lot of in this understanding if you are blind like we're about to see here or lame or had leprosy it was because god was angry with you god gave you this disease because of your sin or god gave you this ailment because of your sin and you needed to be um, forgiven of your sins. Um, 
and this was just a natural consequence of your sins. If you were blind or lame or had leprosy. These people are all part of an oppressed community. They they are in a, a society and a culture that has that is dependent upon their separateness. It is dependent upon a separation between the rich and the poor. Let me show you. After the parable of the persistent widow, they, we have this parable of uh, a Pharisee and a tax collector. Tax collector is uh, exactly how it sounds. It sounds like someone who comes around to collecting tax, right? Probably not someone you want to invite to uh, your charcuterie and wine night at your house. <laughs> I don't know if you have one of those, but that's the first thing that came to my mind. My mind. These people aren't liked. Um, they aren't liked because they're tax people. Like no one, I, I don't have any, I don't know anyone that works for the IRS. I don't know if I, we probably find something that we would agree with, but Hey, the, the tax collectors in this culture and in this context, these people make their, their money, not just by taxing you, um, and doing their jobs. They actually, uh, uh, mess with the system. Uh, well, I guess the system is in place and working out how it is where they're able to take a little bit extra, um, without any repercussions or consequences. So tax collectors are not um, very well liked. And in this next parable, you have a Pharisee and a, a tax collector who go to the temple to, um, you know, uh, supposedly to worship God, to repent. And and uh, and in this parable, the Pharisee is like, God, thanks for making not making me like this lowly tax collector over here. And and. While this Pharisee is so um, proud about his, quote, right standing with God that he is looking down on someone else that is not where he is, this tax collector is beating his chest um, uh, to the, and, and, and asking God for uh, mercy because he's a sinner, Um and this is an a, a excellent example. This is where that that passage is. For every one who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And Jesus is leaving these bread breadcrumbs for us here because this is how we enter into the kingdom of God. Those who, those of us who are outside of it. Um, there are those that we're about to see. Well, let's just let's the next the. The next passage is when the children come to Jesus. And the passage says even infants, right? And and his Jesus' followers are upset um, about this. They 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 have still this understanding that this is a strong movement and we need to gain power and we need to do it fast and we need to blah 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 blah. And and people are bringing children to Jesus, even infants, even babies. The text says, and and his disciples rebuke them and tell them to get out, get out of here. Don't waste our time with these babies, right? Because think about it. If you are starting a movement that is in direct contrast to the the state and to the religious authorities of your time, you don't have time to be waste on doing things like hanging out with kids. You need to meet with people who can fund your campaign. You need to be doing things that gain um, momentum for your movement. But Jesus does something very subversive here, right? For all, for all, for all we know, the, he's still talking with the Pharisees. The Fer, it doesn't say the Pharisees left. He's still answering the Pharisees' question. And so he takes this opportunity where people are bringing kids to him as he's talking with the Pharisees, almost like interrupting. They're almost like interrupting this conversation. And Jesus is like, hold on, like bring him to me. 
And here's what Jesus says about the children. The passage says that now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them, called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Okay, so right there we have an understanding that Jesus is talking about a reality where people are already living in it. Right? People are already in this kingdom of God mindset. And that there are people that, that receive it and that the kingdom of God already belongs to them. And that there are those who need to enter into it like children. There are those who have received the kingdom of God. And then there are those who have wandered and need to get back into it. Those who need to do something uh, in, in order to enter into the kingdom of God. And it's fascinating the way this story is written because immediately after that, we're introduced to this rich young ruler who again interrupts the scene. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What The question is, what must I do to receive, to be given eternal life? the kingdom of God. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit, do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And if you're counting, Jesus only gave five commandments there. And he said, all these I had kept, I have kept from my youth, the rich young ruler. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became, he became very sad for he was extremely rich Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with men is possible with God. So you have this rich young ruler who shows up and is like, all right, what do I got to do to receive this, uh, to receive the kingdom of God? Maybe he hasn't heard the part where those who humble, those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Maybe he just missed that point. He's coming in a little bit late. So Jesus says, you know, the commandments. And again, Jesus only gives him five commandments. And I'm going to argue that it is not because Jesus has not memorized the Ten Commandments. Okay, Very basic qualification for you becoming a rabbi is that you know the Ten Commandments. Subversively, poetically, Jesus does not list out all Ten Commandments, but he only gives about five. And in, in, in each um, gospel that we find this story in, which I think is in three out of four of them, if not all of them. He does this every single time. The, the consistency in this part is really important that we see that in each time the story is told, Jesus only gives about half the commandments. He leaves out another half. The half that Jesus gives, the rich young ruler is like, yep, check, got that one, got that one, got that one. But what Jesus is showing here is that if this rich young ruler had actually kept the commandments, all ten of them, he would not actually be a rich young ruler. He would not actually be a rich young 
ruler. Because if he had kept all the commandments, all ten of them, I don't think that he would be rich, especially young. (laughs) Young and rich and a ruler. And I say this because this is what's happening in the text. Jesus is challenging him, saying, you think you got it all figured out. But you can't follow the commandments. You can't be in the kingdom of God and desire to separate yourself from others with money. How do I know this? Jesus literally says, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And furthermore, it's solidified for me because the reason why the rich young ruler is sad is not because he hadn't kept the commandments. It's not because of anything other than he was extremely rich. The text says this. The text says that that this guy is so rich that when he asks, how do I get eternal life? How do I get to live not just right here, right now? How do I get to live forever? Eternal life, kingdom of God, heaven, shalom. How do I get there? How do I get into it? How do, how do I receive it? And the answer that Jesus gives makes him sad. Because he would rather hang on to something that separates him from other people, that gives him notoriety, that gives him status, that gives him wealth, while people are hungry and there are people begging on the streets and there are people persistent in their justice. Jesus says, sell it all. Come and follow me. And he's sad and because he's extremely rich and Jesus says how difficult it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God remember that what he said about the children the children the kingdom of God belongs belongs to the kids and this is significant it's it's significant now because it was significant then and it's significant because again in this culture and in this context God The blessings of God is seen through wealth and power, right? In in this nation that that we're in the nation that is in the in the the New Testament and the nation that we find ourselves now, God bless America. How does God bless America? By giving it more power, right? That's the understanding is that God, the way that God distributes his blessings is through the means of money and power and 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 status and wealth. At least that's what we've always been taught, but that's not what Jesus is teaching here. Jesus says that the kingdom of God already belongs to the children. And again, the children don't have anything to offer the state, has nothing to offer the machine, the government, the religious authorities. They have nothing to offer but themselves, just their presence. Just their presence. They don't have anything. They have what they need. Because they're alive and they're being fed. But they have nothing to offer themselves. Same as the persistent widow. The only thing that she has to offer is her presence. And she is so secure in that presence. And she values her life so much that she is persistent in demanding her justice. Rich people don't have to demand their justice. They can buy it. Widows, in this context, have to bang on those doors to the point where someone will give her justice until uh, when they're so fed up with her persistence, they'll finally hand it over. A couple of more things that Jesus talks about here is that blind beggar that I told you about. And, and this passage is, is really unique. It, it goes like this. As, as he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, 
Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people. And all the people, when they saw it, when they saw what had happened, gave praise to God. So here's another moment where the disciples don't want Jesus to be bothered by someone who can't give anything to their movement. They rebuke him. They rebuke him, and in his persistence, Jesus hears him and comes to him, and he gets his justice, okay? There's a big procession of people. He, he inquires of what's going on. He figures out that it's this Jesus of Nazareth that everyone's been talking about. And he yells out for him. His disciples, his leaders, rebuke Jesus' leaders rebuke him, telling him to shut up. Okay, he tells him to be silent. And they probably were a bit more firm than just say, hey, be quiet. They tell him to shut his mouth. He refuses because he knows he deserves better. And Jesus comes and relieves and heals what ails him. And if this blind beggar backs off when he is rebuked, the people miss out on a miracle. You feel me on that? If the blind beggar stops and doesn't continue in his persistence of, of, of calling out to Jesus, then the people miss out on a miracle. But Jesus hears this guy and he brings him forward and he heals him and, this, and says that, that all the people when they saw it gave praise to God. What Jesus is showing here is what the kingdom of God looks like. Everyone has what they need. Everyone has what they need. That's the point of the rich young ruler. Hey, you think you're rich? You think you're rich? Okay. Sell it all. Give it to the poor. You'll still have what you need. You'll still have what you need. And so will others. But that made the rich young ruler sad. Let me introduce you to another rich person that Jesus interacts with. And just notice the differences in how Jesus responds to this rich person in contrast to how he responded to the rich young ruler. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. A chief tax collector. And was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So, as you do, he hurried down and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone into the guest of a man who is a sinner. He has gone in to be a guest of a, of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. 
for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Come on now. Like, yeah, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And if you've been listening and following along with what Jesus is talking about here, who are the lost? Jesus says nothing about being non-believers, unbelievers. Jesus doesn't say anything about following a certain doctrine, certain tradition. As a matter of fact, if this man is a chief tax collector under the Roman Empire, it's more than likely that he is not an Israelite. That he's not a Jew. But Jesus says that for that today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. How is he a son of Abraham? Because he has entered into the kingdom of God. He's a rich man, and what he does with that privilege, what he does with that wealth, is that he gives half of it to the poor, he takes what he needs, and then he also sets aside reparations for anything, for, for anyone that he has defrauded in the past, right? Because if you're a tax collector, what we talked about earlier is that your MO, your job is to defraud people in order to make a living, in order to become rich. Your job is to defraud people. And what he says here is that if I've done that, because you know that he's had that he's that he has if he is a chief tax collector, he restores it fourfold. And that's why I use that word reparations, because it's exactly what reparations are. You defrauded someone, you should repair that relationship and make them whole. Not only does he make them whole, but he restores it fourfold. He gives them extra four times what he took from them. That's justice. That is shalom. This universal, holistic flourishing of the entire cosmos where everyone has what they need, everything is how it is ought to be. And Jesus is specifically talking about how the rich, the powerful, the wealthy can enter into the kingdom of God. And that is to make sure that the privilege that you have been given, any amount of it, that you don't hoard it, that you don't seek to cut anybody else out from that privilege, but you invite others in to it. You humble yourself, just like Zacchaeus did, who is a rich man that doesn't use his riches to gain more wealth and keep more people hungry and keep more people in poverty. He gives it, he gives half of what he gets to the poor. Now, let me speak very specifically here, because what our culture, this American culture has done with this message is really aim it towards middle class, Right, because we talk about, uh, I've talked about this stuff with people, and the question is like, what are you doing, Rick? Why don't you give half of what you make to the poor? I mean, I wish I could give half away and still have what I need. The very, but the fact is, is that if I gave half of what I made on an annual salary, I wouldn't have what I would need to take care of myself and take care of my girls. We're talking about the rich, rich, the mega rich, the Jeff Bezos rich that have more than they could possibly imagine. They have more than they need for not just this lifetime, but for thousands of lifetimes. For instance, it would take someone, uh, I think it's, what was it, minimum wage? If someone was, was working minimum wage, it would take them 70,000 years 
to acquire the wealth that Jeff Bezos has right now. And 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 that's if they saved every penny. 70,000 years. And as someone who is coming from the middle class, we need to recognize that we are closer to being in poverty than we ever will be to being any remotely to any like remotely anywhere near where Jeff Bezos is. Let's just talk about being you listening to this podcast, a millionaire. You know the chances of you becoming a millionaire? Like, homie, like we'll be lucky if 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 a lot of us get to see triple, you know, digits <laughs> at some point in our lives. You know? And if we do, we gotta work our ass off to get there. We have the capacity and the means to make sure that everyone has what they need. But instead, we believe that God bless that the way that we see God's blessings is not with the poor who are statistically happier in a in a sense that they don't I want to be careful here. They, we all know this. Materialism will get you nowhere. The people who have everything materialistically wise, they don't have everything, do they? You, you and I both know that. When we get that, when we get that new car, they get that new, for us, like new car, new pair of shoes, new gadget, new toy, whatever, It'll eventually pass away. It doesn't make us happy. The poor are in an advantage in this way because they don't have that shit to block them from the, re- the, the reality that already exists. It's this made-up idea of rich and poor people. <laughs> We've made that up. The money, the currency, it's a made-up thing to help separate us as a people, to, to create these hierarchies where we say that you have more of this green piece of paper than this other person, and therefore you are able to gain better health care, better education, better loans, better everything, simply because you have more of a piece of paper than this person. Our society and all and all major societies all have a made-up hierarchy within it in order to keep the thing going. What Jesus is talking about here is, is, is to show us that the kingdom of God is not about when, because the kingdom of God is already here. Jesus talked about that in his Lord's Prayer, that the king, as it is in heaven, may it be on earth. The kingdom of God is the thing that exists. It's the thing that that you are looking at right now, wherever you are right now. The kingdom of God is you. The kingdom of God is those mountains. The kingdom of God is my closet that I'm looking that I'm looking at right now. The kingdom of God is the thisness of the reality that we are experiencing. So it's not about when. It's already here. The kingdom of God is already here. We can't escape it. It's already here. Do we want to live into that reality? The reality that the universe has always known, that everyone has what they need, and it's, 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 this, it's the homo sapiens that have come across and, and say, like, but what if I had more than what I needed? We're the first species that says, that, that, that thrives off of having more than other people, <laughs> than other homo sapiens, than other humans. I don't see other organisms in this world being more, being concerned about having more than their neighbor. That's a human thing. Jesus is calling us to remember the state of the universe, that it is a shalom state 
where we could, if we wanted to, have everything that we need. Nothing more and nothing less. And this is solidified for me in the fact that in Acts chapter 2, right after Jesus has died and, and the movement has really come to essentially a screeching halt, that the followers of his teachings, the followers of Jesus, lived in a small community where if one of them needed something, it was met. Each one giving to the other without any expectations, knowing that as you give, so you will receive. You will reap what you sow. They believed his words. They didn't twist them make them hyper-spiritual or anything like that. They just did what he said to do, which is to give to the poor, to distribute what you have. And, and this, so this kingdom of God idea is truly this idea that we need to let go of the illusion of separation of rich and poor or whatever else we Used to separate ourselves from another manifestation of this reality that we are all living in. Progress is the soul of the universe. The only thing the universe knows how to do is to progress. And when the universe began, what we know is that it started out with particles and those particles turn into molecules and those molecules turn into atoms. And the only way that we got there is if those particles, those individual particles with their differences, with their individualities came together in unison and became something new. And that newness created a new world where we used to have particles. Now we have molecules. And those molecules, because they all molecules are just a bunch of particles, they remembered what they needed to do to create something new. And they united and they created atoms. And atoms, if you remember, are everything that we know to exist. They make up everything that we know to exist we are no different we can use our individualities we can use our differences to not separate us but actually to unite us and unite us in a way and to go with the flow of the progression of the universe where everyone has what they need and in so doing literally create a new world literally create something new. Aren't we tired of this? Isn't this getting old? Where people have more than what they need and therefore some people are literally dying of hunger? People are literally unsheltered in 115 degree weather in the state of Arizona? Like, we got to see that as a major plight of our species where we have people living in mansions. Mansions. While people are living in a tent in 115 degree weather. And man, we could have it so much better. Yeah, maybe, maybe... Maybe you don't have $746 billion. Maybe you don't have that. Maybe you don't have a billion dollars. Because maybe you don't need a billion dollars to exist. There are some people who are simply just trying to exist right now. And this kingdom of God idea... This shalom idea is not one that is popular. Because in a consumeristic, capitalistic mindset and culture that we find ourselves in right now, making sure 
that other people have what they need is not at the top priority of our nation's list. We would rather have more than enough, even if that meant that people went without. And as a Christian nation, that is shameful. And as those who claim to follow Christ, follow Jesus, um, we, I just said we, I don't know, (laughs) humans, humans, we need to do We can, we just have, we could have it so much better. It could be so much more beautiful. Imagine having everything that you needed. And therefore, there was no wars. There, there, there were no, there were no, um, like, food shortages, like, Everything ha- everyone would have what they need. What could we create if everyone had what they needed? May we not be like the rich young ruler who walks away sad with this. With this challenge. And may we hold those accountable. Like Zacchaeus in this story. That if you have way more than what you need, you need to give it back. That should should just be a moral thing. That if someone is without basic necessities of what we need to sustain their life, and then someone has so much wealth that they don't even, they, they, they could live thousands of years and not even spend all that they have. That's wrong. Like, if if there's anything that's wrong in this universe, it's that. Where someone would have way more than what they need as someone goes without. I believe we'll get there. Because I believe that the progress that progress is the soul of the universe. The only thing the universe knows how to has knows how to do is progress. Forward can't be stopped because if it's stopped it's no longer forward. We will get there. But it will take a, uh, an awakening, a spiritual awakening at some point. Not with one religion, not with one person, but a, a massive understanding of what it means to be human. And what it means to not just take care of yourself, not just take care of your family, your community, your state, your country. Because those are all just made up, man. So all just made up. We are humans, and though, and 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 we, uh, at the very basis of who we are, we are one, not just with our own species, but with everything. And I think that we'll start to see that eventually. But until then. Let's make sure that we are doing, as individuals, what we can to build a little piece of shalom while we're here. Whatever that means. If you're a mother, you are a teacher, you're a businessman, you're an entrepreneur, student, musician, artist, writer, whatever it is, do what you do because you love it and out of that love, give it to the world. That is a piece of shalom for us to enjoy, whatever it may be. And on the flip side of that, let's hold those who let's hold those people accountable who refuse to go with the progression of the universe. Come on, man. You don't need that. You don't need $746 billion. Come on, man. Give it back. You don't need $7 billion. It's okay. You'll be all right. 
We can get there. I want to get there. Let's continue to get there together.